you've been with us the past few weeks, we've been in a series called Bold. We're looking at what it means to be bold in our faith. And we've been talking about the, the fact that God has called us to live boldly, to live bold lives, because following Jesus was never meant to be safe. And so we've been talking about what does it look like to have bold faith. And we, a few weeks ago we talked about Peter and how Jesus called Peter to, to step out and follow him on, on the water in the Sea of Galilee. And last week we talked about what it looks like to have bold prayers. And we looked at uh, Peter and, and John as they were arrested for preaching the gospel and how they prayed the, the prayer, God, make me bold. As we talked last week, we challenged each of us to, to write out our bold prayer and to pray it every day this week. But let's not stop praying bold prayers because that week is over. But this morning, we're going to continue to talk about what it means to be bold. And we're going to talk about what it looks like to live boldly in our actions. And we're going to look at a, a beautiful story in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. And we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2. We're going to read the whole chapter. So we're going to need to fasten our seatbelts because we're going to cover a lot of ground. But as you turn to Joshua chapter 2, just a little backstory to bring us up to speed. The, the book of Joshua is a, about Joshua leading God's people into the promised land. And uh, we see that if we go back to the book of Genesis that God promised uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, that he was going to give them a, a home. He was going to give them a land, a place to call their own. And so we, we catch up to the book of Joshua and we find out that Moses, the, the man that God used to bring Israel, his people, out of Egypt, has died. And that now God has called this man named Joshua to now lead the people of God into their future home, the place they're going to call home, the place where they're going to raise their families, the place where they're going to plant their gardens and build their homes. But so we, we find Joshua now having taken the reins, uh, but he's afraid, he, he's, he's worried, he's scared, because this is a really tall task. Now, this isn't the first time that God's people were ready to go into the promised land, though. If you, if you rewind about 40 years back before the book of Joshua takes place, we find that God was uh, leading Moses and the people of Israel towards the promised land. And, and so Moses sends out 12 spies. And these 12 spies go and they scope out the land. But they came back with a really bad report. They said the people in the land of Canaan were big. They were scary. They were mean. And we don't have the boldness to, to, to go. Ten of the 12 guys said, we can't go. But there was two, two men, a young man named Joshua and his friend Caleb, who said, let's go. God's going to give us the victory. So because of, of that, it, they, Israel did not go in. They weren't allowed to move into the promised land yet. So now, fast forward 40 years. Joshua now has been given the reins. Joshua is a little freaked out. So God tells Joshua at the end of Joshua chapter 1, don't be afraid. Be courageous. I will be with you wherever you go. And so now we see Joshua's building up in boldness. And so Joshua decides it's time to go scope out the land again. Except this time he only sends two spies. He figured his numbers were going to be a little better that way. So Joshua sends two spies into the land of Canaan, into a city uh, that we call Jericho. And that's where our story begins. So hopefully you found your way to Joshua chapter 2. And in this, in this chapter, Joshua chapter 2, we're going to actually read this incredible story. But it's not about Joshua. 
And it's not about the spies, although everything these guys did was bold. The, the story we're going to read is actually about a woman by the name of Rahab. And Rahab's amazing boldness in the, risk, in the risk she took for God turned out to change the landscape of Israel and to change the family of God forever. So look with me here in Joshua chapter 2. We normally put all the verses on the screens, but it's a really long chapter. So grab your Bibles if you have them. If you have your phone, pull out your Bible app. And if you're going to follow along on your app, it will be in the ESV. We're reading out of ESV today, so you guys can follow along with me. But we'll still throw a couple verses that we're going to highlight on the screen. So let's read about the boldness of Rahab. Look with me. Joshua chapter 2, we read this. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So we see that Joshua sends these spies out and they go into the land. Now it's interesting to note where they go. Where did they go? Where did they stop at? They stopped at in Jericho at what we know of today as a brothel. A brothel ran by this woman named Rahab. Now, at first glance, that seems a little interesting, doesn't it? That God would send his people to a brothel. This would be the place that they would go. Now, they didn't have Holiday Inn Expresses those days, right? The the limited lodging. But to go there is an interesting place. Why there? It's important. It's an important part of the story. What you're going to see is that Jericho, as all of Canaan, was a really terrible place. If you guys remember back to our series through Jonah, we talked about how terrible Nineveh was. That was Jericho. Jericho was a terrible place with lots of terrible things going on. And so it wouldn't have been uncommon for a brothel to be a popular destination. But if you are sending Israelite spies into the land of Canaan to be posed as Canaan travelers, a brothel would be a, a simple place that would make sense to go and to have some cover. And so we see the spies, they go into this brothel, and they meet this woman named Rahab. But the spies weren't as sneaky as they thought they were. turns out they were caught. Notice uh, what happens here in verse 2. We see that that it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And so then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, so they have come to search out all the land. And so somebody sees these spies. They realize these aren't really Canaanites. These are Israel. We've heard a lot about these guys, and they're coming in to search out our, our, our land. And so Rahab Come tell us what's going on. Bring these guys out. Now, I'm sure the two spies were worried. They're like, where's Liam Neeson right now? Like, where, how am I going to get out of this situation? But notice what God does. Notice what God does in this story in verse 4. Check this out. But the woman, Rahab, had taken the two men and hidden them. So in those days, roofs were flat. And so Rahab's house, this brothel, was built into the side of the wall of the city. And they built cities in those days to be impenetrable. So there would be a gate, and then everything else would, would be enclosed. And Rahab's house just happened to be on the outside of the wall. And so she took them up to the roof and hid them where they would dry grain and these kind of things. And now the men are hidden. And notice what Rahab does. At the end of verse 4, she says this. She says, true. She's talking to the king's men now. She's talking to the police. True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I don't know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. 
But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax, grain that had been laid on, in order on the roof. So the men, the king's men, pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the Forbes, and the gate was shut as soon as pursuers had gone out. And so Rahab covers for them. Rahab covers for these spies, sent out, and then the city gate shut down. It's a pretty bold move. It's a really bold move by Rahab. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this story, Rahab doesn't really stand out to me as someone who would be bold for God. I mean, think to yourself, when you imagine somebody that's bold for God, what do you think of? See, I think for a lot of us, we kind of have a picture in mind of somebody who, who's bold for God, somebody who, who looks the part, somebody who, who you, you would guess that is the person who is going to be bold for God. You think of guys like Daniel who say, hey, hold my fresca, I'm going to go defy tyrants. You think of guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who say, whatever you say, I'm going to go into the fiery furnace because I know my God is with me. We, we think of guys like David who, who stand up in, in the face of, of a giant. We don't, we don't think of Rahab. Like if I was going to ask you, name me three Bible characters who were bold for God, who would you say? Would Rahab be in your list? She probably wouldn't have been in my top three. But yet Rahab's boldness is told throughout the Bible. Rahab's boldness is claimed in, in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of faith. Rahab, James talks about Rahab. What Rahab does right here is so bold. It's told throughout the annals of Scripture the whole way through. But she's not the kind of person that we think would be bold. And why is that? Because I, th I think for a lot of us, we think of boldness as a personality trait or as a characteristic. But we see that boldness isn't based in your own strength. And being bold for God isn't based in, 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 in your own confidence. But boldness, godly boldness, is an inner confidence that makes the decision to attempt something bold for God. And it's driven by faith. Because if you look at some of the bold characters in the Bible, you'll see that they, they weren't that bold to start with. And they, their characteristics, they didn't have good traits in their personality that lead you to believe that they were going to be bold for God. I mean, Jacob was a liar. Moses stuttered. Martha was a worrier. Gideon was afraid. But yet each of them did something bold for God. And I think God wants us to see something. That God doesn't call the qualified, but God qualifies the called. You might look at your life and say, oh, I just don't have the bold personality. But neither did she, and neither did any of these other people have the boldness. It was God's Holy Spirit moving through their life that led them to be bold. And God was getting ready to use Rahab to do something really special and amazing. So he brings these two spies to her door. But did you notice something about Rahab there in that last section that we read? What did Rahab say to the king's men? when they came looking for those two spies. What'd she say? They're not here. They're gone. So what did Rahab do? It's okay. You can say it. It's an okay word to say at church. She lied, right? It's okay to say that, right? Rahab lied. Rahab lied to the king's men. So here's the question. Was Rahab right in doing that? Was it okay for Rahab to lie to the king's men? You know, there's a lot of theories on this, if, if it was okay for her to, to tell this lie. What, what you see really she's doing is she's disobeying the, her authorities above her. Civil disobedience, right, is what Rahab did. So is it okay to lie if you're in Rahab's situation? 
Well, interestingly, there's a lot of views on this. A lot of seminary professors have certain views on this. And scholars all are all over the map. But we, we, and we see that many people will say, no, it wasn't okay. That the Bible never condones lying. And God could have used Rahab no matter what. God would have still used these spies no matter what. But notice who the hero of the story is. The hero of the story aren't the spies. The hero of the story is Rahab. Last summer, my daughter Emma at school was given a diary of Anne Frank. Anybody read the diary of Anne Frank? Classic story. Not very many hands went up, so I think you guys should at least go watch the movie. <laughs> okay, there's some more hands. There's some more hands. You just got to get limber. So she read the diary of Anne Frank, and she was just captivated by the story. And so we watched the movie, watched the movie together and talked about the diary of Anne Frank. And if you guys know the story, Anne Frank and her family hid in the attic of a, another family in Holland to avoid being captured by the Nazis. And if you read further, we meet a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom, who Corey Tenboom was a Christian, and her family hid the hit Jews in their attic so they wouldn't be found by the Nazis. The question is, was Corey Tenboom and the other families, the people who loved God, right for hiding Anne Frank or other people in their attic to, be, to avoid capture from Nazis? Were they right or were they wrong? So when the Nazis came and knocked on their door and said, hey, do you have anybody here? And you said, no, were you telling the truth? Civil disobedience. Was Rahab right? Was Corey Tenboom right for not saying yes to the civil leaders? See, I think there is a reality here for us to explore where I, I don't think that, that they were wrong. See, here's the reality. Does the Bible tell us that we need to obey our civil and civic leaders? Yes. Does the Bible tell us that we need to honor and respect the people placed above us in leadership? Yes. Does the Bible tell us that we need to do our best to follow their leading? Yes. But when the hearts of evil people tell you to do something that is outside of the expressed will of God, then you have to wonder, how am I going to respond in this moment? How am I going to respond in this situation? Because God's word is pretty clear that he calls us to love our neighbors God calls us to protect the unborn. God calls us to protect and care for the needy, to care for those who are born with disabilities, to protect those who are marginalized for the color of their skin and where they are from. So if somebody with an evil heart tells you to do something that is outside of the expressed, revealed will and purpose of God, what do you do? Do you follow the evil heart in person or do you follow God? I think in this case, you got to follow God. Now, it's a case-by-case -case scenario. Do we do our best to always follow the civic leaders placed in front of us? Absolutely we do. But in this case, and in the case with Corey Tinboom and people hiding Jews from the Nazis who were trying to send in the concentration camps, there was a moment where they had to make a choice. Rahab made the choice to follow God. So is she right or, she, or is she wrong? We can talk about that later. But what we see is that neither God praises her for doing it nor condones her for doing it. I think God leaves it into the eye of the beholder in this case. But what we see is God blesses this situation and uses Rahab to do something very boldly. Got it? Forefront. Does that make sense? Hopefully it does. We can talk about it later. So let's continue on. So we see here that Rahab makes the choice. She's going to follow God 
in this case. And so she sends the, 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 the king's men away because she knew what the king's men wanted to do. They wanted to kill these spies. And so she, she sends them away, and then notice what she does. She goes up on the roof, and she has a conversation with these men. And I, I think this reveals something to us about boldness, and that is this, that there could be a time in your life when you have to make a bold move for God and stand up in the opposition of what somebody else is telling you to do. And again, it's a case-by-case scenario. And again, you don't ever do it just out of, out of a quick reaction. We have to be prayerful and consider, what is God telling me to do? But right now, if you were a Christian in China and it's illegal to go to church and you make the decision to go to an underground church, you're making that decision to follow God rather than listening to the commands of people that are telling you not to. It's a hard decision to make. Rahab made her decision, and notice what she does. She goes up and talks to these spies, and she says this in verse 8. Before the men lay down, it's it's nighttime, everybody's gone, it's dark outside. She came to them on the roof, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of the Jordan. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earths and on the earth below. Why did Rahab make the decision to trust God and make this bold move? Why did she do that? She did it because she saw what God was up to. She saw how God was moving. She saw everything was God was doing. And she said, that, this God who is faithful to his people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a bold move for him, and I'm going to get behind him, and I'm going to follow him everywhere he goes. And, and she reveals something to us about bold actions. And I think this is one thing that, that all of us sh- should really consider is this, is that Rahab shows us that bold action should be a response to God's faithfulness. See, Rahab sees God's faithfulness. She hears of God's faithfulness. Rahab didn't grow up in a Christian home. Rahab didn't grow up in a a Jewish home. Rahab didn't know, have any Jewish friends, but she heard of what God was doing. She saw how God was moving, and she saw how faithful he was to his people. And she said, that's the God I'm going to follow. And because of that, she stepped out and took a huge risk and boldly made a bold move. Notice what Rahab says here in verse 8. If you have your Bibles open, look back. She says, I have seen and I have heard of God's faithfulness. I saw what he did at the Red Sea. I saw how God rescued his people from Egypt. I saw how he gave you victory over the Amorite kings. She said, and I know that God has given you this land. I know that God is in your midst. And I'm not going to try to get in the way and stop it. But I'm going to be a part of what God was doing. I want you to notice something about her attitude here. Rahab's attitude wasn't, oh no, God's coming, I'm going to run and hide in fear. That wasn't her attitude at all. Rahab's attitude was instead, God is moving, I see what you're doing, and I'm going to be a part of it. See, I think sometimes we forget how important our attitude is when it comes to the way we live our life. I think sometimes we forget how important our attitude is in in the way that we follow God. And I think sometimes we forget how important our attitude is when it comes to whether we're going to live boldly for God. If you look back, just just look back through the pages of the Bible and you see stories of people's boldness and you wonder, how could they be bold in that moment? 
How did David have the boldness to stand to, to the giant? Well, David had seen that God had given him the ability to kill the lion and the bear. And so when he was placed with a moment to be boldness, he saw God's faithfulness, and he stood up and followed and responded in action. How do we see that Daniel would have the boldness to go to the lion's den? How could Daniel step into that and be confident? It's because he just saw Meshach and Abednego make it out of the fiery furnace because Jesus was with them. See, when we see God's faithfulness move in our lives, when we see God's doing, doing things in our, in our lives, it should give us the boldness to step out and take a risk for God and to boldly act for God, to make a move, a bold move for God. Let me ask you this. How many of you go to a, a new restaurant that, that you'll love that was a great restaurant, and then after you go home, you, you, you decide to keep it a secret? You're not going to ever tell anybody else about how good that place was. Anybody do that? Like, man, I went to, down to the, the Edgewater Public Market, and I had this great restaurant with the syrup for breakfast, and it was so good, but I don't want to tell anybody. I don't want anybody else to go. And some of you might actually do that because it's Denver. But most of us, when we go somewhere, what do we do? We're like, man, you've got to go check it out. That place was so good. Here's what I ordered. You need to get the exact same thing. It'll change your life, right? Like we tell our friends that. We like Instagram, hop on Insta. We're like, oh, my gosh, syrup was so amazed, right? We just send it out. We want everybody to know these places are so good. But yet when we see God do stuff in our life and God move and God's faithfulness, how quick are we to go and tell our friends about it? How quick are we to, to hop on Instagram and post about it? How quick are we to spread the word of how good God is and how faithful God is? See, Rahab shows us something, and that bold action is a response to God's faithfulness, and it starts with an attitude, an attitude that says, I am going to live boldly for God because God has done so much for me, and he's been so faithful to me. Speaking about attitudes, I love what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell is a, a leadership, a, a leader of leaders out there, and he's written so many great books. And he says this about attitude. He says, we choose what attitude we have right now, and it's a continuing choice. Like the attitude you have about God, the attitude you have about your faith, and the attitude you have about how bold you're going to be or how not bold you're going to be, it all comes down to a continuing choice. You have to make the choice right now to choose to have the right attitude. Zig Ziglar, who's got one of the coolest names in the history of the world, says this. He says, your attitude, not your aptitude, will change your what? Your altitude. So attitude is everything. And if you have, are going to name a son, name him Zig. It's just a cool Zig, Ziggy. It's just a, a cool name. Your attitude plays such an important role. And I would be willing to bet if you looked at all the stories of people that captivate you, Garage startups, people that step out boldly and change the world, they are people who had an attitude and a willingness that said, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do something bold. And I may fail, but you know what? I'm going to be able to pick myself up on the other side. Attitude drives in so much. And I think the problem that a lot of us have, and I know that I've had many times, is that we let our attitude get, get shifted to the wrong direction. Let's be real for a moment. How many of you have had a bad attitude this week? Anybody just have, like, you nailed it, 100% good attitude, just smiles, rainbows, and lollipops all week long? I mean, doubt it, right? I think all of us probably got in traffic on I-25 or somewhere, right? You're like, where do people keep coming from? Like, this is Saturday morning. Can you guys just please stay at home and drink coffee? Like, I'm trying to go see the Aspens. Like, leave me alone. Seriously. Our attitudes so often drift the other way, and we end up looking down on ourselves and saying, God, why would you want to use me? 
God, I'm a mess. God, I, I don't have anything to bring. God, nobody wants to listen to me. God, nobody cares what I say. God, I don't have that ability. I don't have that power. And we end up getting defeated. And our attitude becomes glass half empty all the time. And we see opportunities to stand up and be bold, but we think that nobody cares and nobody wants to hear what we have to say. And we miss it. We miss the opportunities that God is putting right in front of us. Forefront, I want you to ask yourself a question. Where is your attitude at right now? What is your attitude? Is your attitude that, that you see the hope that Jesus offers? Do you have the attitude to realize that Jesus really is the only path to living a life of fullness and richness and deepness? That, none, that no thing, food, experience, activity, or, or money can ever buy? Or is your attitude that you're really just not sure if Jesus is going to have your back? Is your attitude you really just aren't sure that you have enough worth or purpose or value for God to actually use you? See, I think for a lot of us, we lack boldness because we're not willing to step out of our comfort zone. But God is saying, look around you. Look what I'm doing. Look how the lives are being changed. Look how I'm moving. Believe it or not, you are of infinite value and infinite worth. And I want to use you to change somebody else's attitude too. So what attitude do you want to have? Because I would say, let's begin to pray as a church to be people that have the attitude to see the world as God sees the world and see people's potential as God, as the Holy Spirit sees your potential and see that everybody adds, brings value and everybody is worthy and everybody is worth it to take a risk and to step out and be bold for Jesus. Rahab sees God's faithfulness. Rahab trusts what God is doing, and Rahab steps out and rescues these spies. But notice what she does. Look what else she does in verse 12. We read this. She says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. And give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brother and my sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. I mean, Rahab knows what's going to happen. So she's like, look, I'm going to be kind to you, but I want you to be kind back to me. Keep reading. Look here, verse 15, 14. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. Our life for your life, they say. For if you did not tell of this business of ours, if you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Verse 15. Then she let them down by a rope through the window. Remember, her house was on the outside of the wall. For her house was built in the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. And hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go your way. So she's even telling them where to go and where to hide and how to get out of the city. And then the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, we, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and all of your father's household. Then, if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in your house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. Rahab says, look, I have showed you kindness. Will you show me kindness in return? And the spies say yes. This word kindness, it's the Hebrew word kesed. Chesed. 
And it means covenantal faithfulness. It means goodness and, and kindness. And one of the beautiful realities we see throughout Scripture is that God promises to be faithful to us, and he asks us just to be faithful back. And that God tells us over and over again, my promises are always true, and my word is always kept. And so Rahab says, will you be faithful to me? I've been faithful to you. And I think one of the things that we're seeing that God says to us is, I've been faithful to you. That if you've put your faith in Jesus and you've seen me move in your life, I've been faithful to you. So will you be faithful to me? Will you be faithful back? Yesterday, if you guys saw on social, was National Daughters Day. So I don't know if anybody was able to get a post up, but I realized it at about 11 o'clock, so I threw one up there, you know, just so I can do my dad duty. And I realized something. And you new parents, you guys are realizing this too. When you become a dad, when you become a mom, when you become a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, or, or you adopt someone into your family or you're a foster parent, at that moment, your life stops being all about you. At that moment, your life is no longer all about you. Your life is now all about somebody else. And I think the Bible is teaching us and God is teaching us that there's a principle for us to take home. And that is this, that when you are welcomed in the family of God, your life stops being all about you. And your life now becomes about helping others experience the goodness and the grace and the richness and the fullness that only Jesus can offer. And that God has called us to be kingdom men and women who are living to bring others into the kingdom of God. And so our life isn't just about us anymore. Our life is about helping others see the faithfulness of God. And so when we see God move in our lives and become faithful, it's our response to live boldly and take risks for him so that other people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? God has blessed us more abundantly than we could ever ask or think. And God wants to use us to help others see how much he's blessed them. So I think one of the, the, the things for us to consider as we think about boldness, as we've talked about how do we have bold faith, how do we have bold prayers, how do we have bold action, next week we're going to talk about how do we live with a bold purpose. It's this, the difference between someone who lives boldly for God and someone who doesn't is willingness. Willingness is the mark. It's not a personality trait. It's not inner strength. It's not past experience. Yes, we look and see God's faithfulness, but it is willingness. So are you willing? Are you willing to take a step out and risk it for God? Are you willing to talk to your neighbor about Jesus? Are you willing to stand up for that coworker who's being downcast at work? Are you willing to speak and invite someone you've never met to church? Are you willing to take a risk? Because Rahab was, but are you? So we see that the bold action is a response to God's faithfulness, but I want to I I point one more thing out to you, and then we'll close, and that is that this, that bold action reveals a heart that trusts in God's promises. The bold action is revealing your heart, that the actions we do are, are revealing what is going on in here, what's going on inside of us, and it reveals God's promises. Remember, the, the spies told Rahab, look, you're faithful to me. We're going to be faithful to you. Hang this scarlet cord from your window, and we will come and rescue you. And notice what happens next. Verse 21. And she said, according to your word, so be it. And then she sent them away, and they departed. And what did she do? 
She tied the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed, verse 22, they went into the hills, remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. Then the two men returned. They came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told Joshua what had happened. And Joshua said, truly, the Lord has given us the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. What happens? Well, fast forward to Joshua chapter 6. And we see that Israel, in a very unconventional way, goes to Jericho. They, they walk around the city one time per day. The army does, blowing their trumpets, and then they go home. They do that for six days. And on the seventh day, they walk around the city seven times. And when the priests blow their trumpets, the walls of the city come down, and Israel, go in. Israel goes in to take the victory. But check this out. This is so good. Joshua 6, 23. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. God kept his promise. And Rahab and her family was rescued and was saved. So there's something really interesting about this story. There's, there's something really interesting about what we see about Rahab here. And, and, and it's this, that Rahab is not the kind of person that we would immediately expect God to use in her story. Rahab would, is the kind of person that we would write off, let's be honest. Rahab's the kind of person that the Jewish culture would have written off. Rahab's the kind of person that American culture is going to write off. But yet God used Rahab and the mess that she was to pave a way for Israel to move into the promised land. And, and it reveals something to us that God used Rahab to advance his mission across the timeline of history. And what is God showing us here is that God loves to use unlikely people. And God, God loves to use broken people. And God loves to use messy people. And it's not just Rahab, it's you and me. See, God wants us to see that no one is too far away or too far gone from the grace of God. See, you might be here today and you might say, you know, my sin is just too great. My mistakes are too bad. My reputation is too gone. God can't use me. I am just too much of a mess. I have made too many mistakes. My reputation, all of it, it's, it's, worth, it's worthless. What can I bring? Why be bold? I'm just going to shriek away, shrink away and hide in fear. But I think God wants us to see is when you look through story after story of the Bible, Jesus spent time with people that culture was going to write off. And he did it to show us that God wants to use unlikely people to advance his mission and to change the world. See, the enemy wants us to believe that our background, our history, our mistakes are going to keep us away from God's purposes. But God and Jesus are telling us over and over again, that's not the case. Stop falling for that lie. But trust me, see my faithfulness and trust my promises. And you're going to see me move in an amazing way. You ever wonder what happened to Rahab? Well, it's pretty interesting. I told you earlier that Rahab's listed in Hebrews 11 with guys like Abraham and Moses, right? People that did amazing things. People like David. But more than that, Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. You can't miss this. This is so good. We get to see who is in Jesus' family tree. And notice the name that you see in Matthew 1, verses 5 and 6. We see, who do we see? Rahab. It said, and, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Rahab was David's great, great grandmother. 
Isn't that amazing? Like Ray, God used Rahab to be David's great-great-grandmother, which means that Rahab is Jesus' great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandma. In the family tree of Jesus is Rahab, the harlot, the brothel owner, the mess, the liar, the deceiver, the bold one who was bold for God. See, Rahab saw what God was up to, and she saw his faithfulness to his people, and she trusted that he would be faithful to her, and she saw that God kept his promise. But what was it, what was it that helped the spies find Rahab? It was the scarlet cord. See, God's been using the scarlet cord the entire time. If you look back over the history of Israel, you see everything had a scarlet cord. From the very beginning, it all was a scarlet cord. The sacrificial lamb in Egypt, the sacrificial system in the Old Testament, the scarlet cord hanging from Rahab's house. That's the blood of Jesus, the scarlet blood of Jesus that washes you and me white as snow when we make the decision to put our faith in Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to make you first in my life. It's the blood of Jesus that washes us clean. It's the scarlet cord that moves all the way throughout the history of time. And for you and for me here today and for everybody who's outside of this room, it's the scarlet, the scarlet that God uses to rescue his people and to identify his people and to set his people on a path for life. And God wants you to be bold and to follow him because he was bold for you. I want to close with this, and I'll invite the worship team back on the stage. In 1792, there was a man by the name of William Carey. And William Carey felt God's call in his heart. And William Carey was really one of the forefathers of modern missions. And William felt that God was calling him to go to India and to take the gospel to the people in India. And so before he left, William Carey stood up in 1792 and he said this to his fellow friends and and preachers and, and missionaries. He says this. He says, we're going to expect great things from God and we're going to attempt great things for God. See, could it be for us that the reason that we don't really live boldly is that we don't expect great things? So because we don't expect great things, we don't attempt great things. Because we're worried that we can't do it, that we're not going to be good enough, that we're going to get told no, that something bad's going to happen. So we don't expect great things. We expect bad things. So therefore, we don't attempt great things. God wants us to expect great things. He wants us to pay attention because all around us are examples of God moving. All through this book are examples of God moving in God's faithfulness. And God wants you to learn to trust in his promises. And as we do, we begin to realize that God is always there for us. So I've got a challenge for you this week as we close. This week, as you go throughout your, out your week, here's what I want you to look for. I want you to look for opportunities where, because of God's faithfulness, he is opening up a door for you to do something bold. That God is opening up a door for you to go and do something bold. God has done something in your life. Jesus has rescued you. Jesus is moving. God is at work. And so God is opening a door for you to go and start a conversation with your neighbor. And just build that relationship. Or, or that God is moving and create an opportunity for you to step up at work and stand up for someone who is being put down. There's opportunities all around us. And God is, wants to use you to be bold in each of those. But I have a second challenge for you this week. You know, here at Forefront, we believe that, that our mission is to lead people to experience new life in Jesus. And that's for all of us. 
And one of the ways that we, the way that we do that is God shapes us as we, as we know him, as we grow in our faith, and as we serve one another, and as we go. There's opportunities right now, as Sam and Brian just came up and told you here at Forefront, where we need each of us to play our part. Because it, God does something really special when we begin serving each other. When, when we step out and begin serving one another, it's not just for, for me, it's for you. Because God is shaping us and molding us and forming us to be more and more like Jesus. How do we grow in our faith? Part of it is stepping out, taking a risk, and giving up our time and our talent and our treasure. So over this next month, we're going to spotlight a ministry every Sunday. And here's what I want to ask of you. I want you to go talk to one of our leaders and find out if you're not serving, where's a place you can begin serving? Because it's when you serve when you give your time to God, that he does something special back for you. Attempt great things. We have to start by expecting great things. God has done something great for us. The question is, are we willing to step out and follow him?